Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Sabbath to everybody. It's good to be back with you. We had a wonderful time in Australia with our families over there, but it's also wonderful to be back here with our church family. The book of Daniel is famous for its prophetic teachings about world events. Four of its main characters, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and Daniel, are also famous for being wonderful role models for living by faith. And those who have read the Bible will never forget the stories of the fiery furnace and also the lion's den. And would you come with me, please, to Daniel 3, where we'll just refresh our memory of this wonderful story where the three worthies trusted in their God even though they faced death. In chapter 3, verse 1, we're told that King Nebuchadnezzar had an image of gold built and everyone was to bow down to this image but the three worthies said no we will not do it now this was told to King Nebuchadnezzar and of course he being the proud king that he was became very angry and he said bring these three young men to me now Daniel at this time wasn't in the kingdom apparently so he wasn't here and so when the three young men came to Nebuchadnezzar he said I'll give you one more chance and when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, etc., if you don't bow down to this image, I'm going to have you thrown into a fiery furnace. And here we have in verse 17, the three worthies answering, O Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 16, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And so they had faith that God could deliver them. And I think most Christians believe that God can deliver us if it is his will. Now, verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold. And in the latter half of verse 28, they trusted in God and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now here we see two very important facts. Number one, they did not demand God to deliver them. And number two, if God did not deliver them, they would still trust him. What happens to our faith when God says no to our prayers? when he doesn't heal our loved one of a terminal illness, or when God doesn't get us that important job we so much wanted, do we become discouraged 
and give it all up because we didn't get our way? Or are we like the three worthies? Now someone may, might say, well, they were delivered, you know. However, they didn't know that they would be delivered before the event, did they? There are people in the Bible whose faith was just as strong as the three worthies, and they were not delivered. I think of Stephen in the book of Acts, chapter 3, the first known martyr of the New Testament, stoned to death. I think of John the Baptist in Matthew 14. God didn't deliver him from having his, having his head chopped off. They will be delivered, though, at the second coming. All these people had a strong, immovable faith, which brings us to the question, how can this kind of faith be developed in our lives? We'll see what the Bible teaches about it next time. Two and a half thousand years ago, a prisoner of war, a Jewish prophet in the famous city of Babylon, wrote a book that bears his name. The understanding of that book supplies us with the answers to life's most important questions. For instance, is there a personal God who was interested in people? Is there meaning to life? Is there meaning, some purpose to pain and suffering and sickness and death? Is there meaning to cancer? Is there meaning to financial loss? Does it make sense to believe in, obey and worship God? Does it make any difference what a person truly believes? Who am I? Am I a powerless, puny, little victim of fate? Somebody said to me recently, I just feel as though I'm being played with. Am I just a victim of fate? And then this book answers also not only those questions, but this question, what lies ahead? What is meant by the Antichrist and what does tomorrow hold for the human race and for us? And all of these questions are answered and much more in the book of Daniel. And today is the first of a series of presentations on the greatest of the prophets. I would like you to take the holy word today and turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. And we are going to have, as we had in the book of Revelation, a verse by verse exposition. And this book is going to bless you marvelously and tremendously. And Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1 gives us the setting of the book. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And so the book opens with a conflict. It is the conflict between the king of Babylon and the king of Jerusalem. And here we have two opposing uh, ideologies and two opposing uh, ways of thinking and systems of thought. I want you to notice verse 2 because it goes on and gives you the result of verse 1. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. I want you to notice what it says here. The Lord delivered the king of Israel. 
the Lord, the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it into the treasure house and put them into the treasure house of his God. And so the setting is in 605 BC and the theme is the great controversy between Christ and Satan. If you want to understand this book, you need to understand that the key lieth right near the door. What is the theme of the book of Daniel? What is it all, all about? It is about the great war against the temple of God, the city of God, the people of God, the great controversy between Jesus Christ and Satan. The very name of the prophet gives us a clue as to the meaning and the intent and the purpose of the book. The name Daniel means God is my judge. The book of Daniel is a picture of God the judge at work. God the righteous judge as he defends his people. As he stands up for the oppressed and as he makes war against the enemies of the gospel. The word judge, as understood by the Hebrews, has different connotations to the way we use the word today. A Hebrew, when he used the word judge, thought of a protector, a savior, a deliverer, a defender, a vindicator. And so when Daniel said, God is my judge, he was saying, God is my deliverer. God is my protector. God is my savior. God is the one who is going to come and help me at the time of my greatest need. And so one of the great themes of this book is this. God is the vindicator of God's oppressed, downtrodden people. And this theme is repeated in every chapter of this book. Now, let me give you briefly now a summary of the book because we're going to deal with it in tiny pieces, but let me give you a broad overview of, the, of, of this book of Daniel. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel are basically historical. And the last six chapters are basically prophetic. Now let me give you a bird's eye view of the great theme of the book before we take it verse by verse. Daniel chapter 1 says, God's way is superior to the gods of Babylon. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, verse by verse, in Daniel chapter 1. What is the message of Daniel chapter 2? Daniel chapter 2 is the great vision of the great metal man. And the message of Daniel 2 is this, that in spite of all the powers of darkness, in spite of the wickedness of men, in spite of mighty world empires, the stone of God's kingdom is going to come. That is Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 3. This is the picture of the three Hebrew worshippers who are thrown into the fiery furnace because they will not bow down and worship the gods of Babylon. What does Daniel 3 tell us? It tells us that when we are thrown into the midst of the fiery furnace, there is one who comes and walks with us in the fire. Daniel chapter 4, this is the story of the great tree that represents Nebuchadnezzar. It is the amazing story of a king's conversion. Did you know this? That Nebuchadnezzar, a blasphemous pagan king, is going to be in the kingdom of God. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be with Christ. 
and Daniel in paradise. And Daniel chapter 4 is the story of how the great God has his way even with pagan kings. Daniel chapter 5 is the story of a blasphemous young king, his name is Belshazzar, who takes the holy things of God, but God comes down as the God of judgment, and God says, you have gone too far. And that night, he is weighed in the balances and found wanting. That is Daniel 5. Daniel chapter 6 describes the greatest test that is given to an old man now in his 80s. Don't think that all the tests and the temptations are for the young. But when he is an old man, he is told, simply stop praying to your God. And because of his fidelity to God, he is thrown into the lion's den. But the God of Daniel, the judge, the defender, the savior, comes down and closes the mouths of the lions. That is the great theme of this marvelous and this wonderful book, that God is alive and God is well, and he is the defender of the people of God. And then you have the great prophecies of Daniel 7, 8, 9, and 10 to 12. And these great themes are repeated in these great prophecies that God is sovereign, that the mighty Prince of Peace is going to come to this world, and the kingdom of God is going to come to this world in spite of blood and fire and persecution and worldly dictatorships. God is still judge, and he is on his throne, and the kingdom of God is going to come. And so there you have the great themes of this great and marvelous book. But now we're going to start an exposition of the book, and I want you to come now to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to go through it verse by verse by God's grace. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that was in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered, notice it again, and the Lord delivered. Why on earth would the God of heaven deliver the the king of Judah, into the hand of this pagan. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put into the treasure house of his God. Now, my friend, this is somewhat an amazing, an amazing story because here you have portrayed clearly before our eyes the story of two kings. The king of Judah and the king of Babylon. You have two cities, the city of Jerusalem and the city of Babylon. And the story of the Bible is a tale of two cities. It is the war between truth and the war between error. It is the story of the two temples it is the story of the two sanctuaries and the stories of the two people. And these great systems are opposed to each other. And you and I can either belong to one or two of these systems, but you cannot belong to Babylon and you cannot belong to Jerusalem at the same time. Either you are in the kingdom of God or you are in the kingdom of Babylon. This is very, very important that every person understand this, that when a person becomes a Christian, if he does it sincerely, when a person becomes a Christian, he steps over the line 
and he leaves the world of the Babylonians behind and he steps over the line and he casts in his lot with the people of God. And there is a clear break with the past. I like the story of the little old American lady during the American Civil War when a great battle was being fought, I think it was Gettysburg or somewhere, she started off to the battle carrying a broomstick. And they said, Granny, where are you going? She said, I'm going to the battle. What are you going for? I'm going to fight. But you won't do much good with a broomstick. She said, I may not do a lot of good with a broomstick. At least I'll know what side I'm on. Mm. You and I need to have a broomstick and let the world know what side we're on. You may say, I can't do a lot, I don't have a lot of money. But you can get a broomstick. You may say, uh, I, I'm just a poor person and I don't have a lot of influence. My friend, go to the battle with a broomstick. Let the world know what side you're on. And the Bible tells us, and this is the great theme of Daniel, that we are in the midst of a great controversy. Adventists refer to this as the great controversy theme. We are in the midst of a great battle between Christ and Satan. And every one of us is involved in this battle. And you can't sit on the fence. And even if you don't have a lot of money, and if you don't have a lot of influence, get a broomstick and let the world know that you're on the side of Christ. And so the Bible says... But here is the great battle, and the king of Babylon comes up to Jerusalem, he besieges it, and he takes it, and the Bible says, the Lord delivered the king of Israel, the king of Judah, over to the pagan king. Have you ever wondered why this happened? Now Beverly's talk today was on the blessings of God, But we don't believe in this church in the prosperity gospel. And that's what she was saying. We don't believe that God always brings apparent prosperity to his people. And the Bible tells us right here that the Lord delivered his people into the hands of the Babylonians. And that was a hard experience. Daniel and the rest of these men and women were taken captives and they were dragged across the blazing hot Syrian sands and they were taken in chains to Babylon and they suffered. Let me tell you, often God's people have to suffer. And often God's people suffer when it is not their fault. Don't tell me it was Daniel's fault that he was taken as a prisoner of war. But I ask you the question, why on earth did the God of heaven, who is the defender, I've told you, he's the defender of the people of God. He's the judge of the people of God. Why didn't God come down in fiery splendor and drive off the Babylonians? Would you like to know why? Because God can only bless his people when they are in the covenant of his grace. And when you and I step out of the covenant of God's grace, we step out of God's circle of protective power. And I'm going to read you some texts right now that tell us why God delivered the people of God into the hands of the Babylonians. And this is quite amazing. Would you come to Jeremiah 17 
and verses 19 and onwards, Jeremiah chapter 17. Now, we would not expect this, but here it is, Jeremiah chapter 17. And uh, I think we're going to start at verse 19. Jeremiah 17. We're going to start at verse 19, and it tells us why the Babylonians had the victory over the people of God on this occasion. This is what the Lord said to me, Go and stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and go out. Stand also at all the other gates of Jerusalem. Say to them, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, and all people of Judah, and everyone living in Jerusalem who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says, Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your forefathers. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. But if you are careful to obey me, declares the Lord, and bring no load through the gates of this city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work on it, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this city with their officials. They and their officials will come riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by the men of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever. God said Jerusalem would stand forever if the people kept the holy Sabbath day. That's not what I, I'm saying. It's what the Bible says. Verse 27, But if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. Would you like to know why the Babylonians had success? The Bible says that God made a covenant of grace with his people and a part of that covenant was the keeping of the Sabbath. You say, why is the Sabbath so important? Because, my friend, the Sabbath stands for allegiance to Jesus. That's why. Now you say, but the Sabbath is not important. I want to tell you this. If you read through your Bible, starting at Genesis, and going through to Revelation, you'll find that the Sabbath has been a test for the people of God in every generation. And the Sabbath tells us where our hearts are. When you say, I'm going to give my life to God, and I'm going to remember to keep the Sabbath day, you're making a commitment to God. And the Bible says that these people broke the Sabbath. And the Bible says, this is not what I'm saying, it is what the Word of God says. The Bible says, because they violated the Holy Sabbath of God, and because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, God sent the Babylonians, and they could not stand against their enemies because they were breaking the commandments of God. And this tells me something, if we want the protection of God upon our lives, we need to make sure that we're right with our God. I want you to come now to another text. I want you to come to 2 Chronicles 36. Now you say, this is pretty strong. I'm sorry, it's not my idea. It's what the Bible teaches. 2 Chronicles, and I think it's chapter 36. Chapter 36, 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. 
I want you to start at verse 15, and it talks here about the fall of Jerusalem. This is a parallel passage. The fall of Jerusalem, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and verse 15 and onwards, and notice it in the Word of God. Please, if you've got a Bible today, please turn up the text. Please turn the text. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his word, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. Now listen to me, my friend. Can I have your eyes? Let me tell you something. We are the most blessed and the most fortunate people in the world as we live here in the United States of America. And I will tell you why. Because God has given us opportunity after opportunity. We hear the word of God time after time. We have Bibles. And God sends us message after message. And the problem is, many of us today, I'm not talking about you specifically, but it may include you. God knows and you know. Many of us are mocking the word of God and by our daily conduct we are rejecting the word of God to our hearts. And we wonder what is happening to America. Why are these disasters coming upon this great land? I will tell you why disasters are coming upon America. Because America is turning from the word of God. This nation was raised up in holiness and raised up by the God of heaven. It was raised up to be a beacon of light to the world. But America largely is turning away from God and our streets are filled with criminals. Our streets are filled with crime. Millions of people are turning to drugs because they've turned from God. And judgment is coming upon us. Do not think that God is an old grandfather who will just smile and say, who cares? God is a righteous God and judgment is going to come and judgment is coming upon us. And the Bible tells us that judgment came upon the children of God because they forsook the law of God and because they rejected the message of the prophets. I say to you, my friend, let us take warning from the word. Verse 17 he brought up against them the kings of the Babylon, the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple. And broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. Where was God? Where was God? Would you like to know where God was? God was directing it. God was directing it. You say, but this is a concept it is hard to believe because we have a misconception of God. The Bible says, the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Babylonians because they rejected the word of God. 
You and I are the most blessed people. We come to church week after week. We have a Bible. We hear the Word of God. And for some of us, we are rejecting the Word of God. Beware, the King of Babylon is at the gates. Beware. Read on. Read on. Verse 20, he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant. That's what happened to the remnant. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant. People say, but we are the remnant church. Nothing can befall us. My friend, Babylonian exile will befall us. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So did they keep the Sabbath? Did they keep the Sabbath? The land kept the Sabbath. God said, you got no time to keep the Sabbath you got no time to lay aside your work on the Sabbath. Well, you're going to keep it. And so they kept it every Sabbath for 70 years. Every seven days. For 70 years, the land kept its Sabbath. There was no plowing. There was no working. There was no business. There was no going to Sears and Roebuck. There was no going to the big department store. There was no buying and selling on the Sabbath because God said, if you won't keep it willingly, you're going to keep it in bondage. The Bible tells me that the great city of Jerusalem was raised to the ground the people were put to the sword. Thousands were taken exiles because they would not listen to the voice of God. And because they broke the Holy Sabbath, which was the sign of loyalty to the God of heaven. This is not my word, it is the word of God. So what is the picture of Daniel? How does it start? It starts with a picture of the people of God who should have been enjoying prosperity and happiness and streets filled with laughing men and women, but a place that is burned to the ground and Daniel and some of his friends taken as prisoners of war because the people of God had rejected the word. Of God. So I tell you today that God's blessings are conditional on fidelity to God's word, symbolized by the keeping of the Sabbath. And notice something else God's people suffer, and suffering is not always the result of personal sin. Daniel had done nothing wrong, but he suffered with the rest because he was a part of humanity. Notice the four heroes of faith. Verses uh, verse 3 and onwards, please. Verse 3 and onwards, of Daniel 1. Back to our chapter. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the 
Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So these young men uh, were of uh, a great background. They had, as we would say, blue blood from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, they were not eunuchs. Some think they were because of their withstanding of temptations. No. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, we would say highly intelligent, high IQs, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So here we have four young heroes, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The Babylonians now engaged in a primitive kind of brainwashing. They were to be given Gentile learning, Gentile names, and taught Gentile customs. You may ask the question, how old were these young men on this occasion? It, it seems quite apparent from the study of the book and other passages that these young men were between 16 and 18 years of age, just boys, uh, dragged out of their homes, dragged out of the palace in Jerusalem, taken across the desert, and thrown into this pagan environment. Let me tell you, it would have been the easiest thing in the world to go with the crowd. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. A Christian, a believer, should seek to get along with his brethren and everybody else. No person should be a martyr for the sake of being a martyr. There are some people who think that being rude, outspoken, and obnoxious is a Christian grace. It is not a Christian grace. It is a mark of an unconverted man or woman. A Christian should seek to please. He should seek to get along. He should seek to compromise where he can. You will not stay married long unless you do. A Christian should be bending where he can be bending. But listen to this. The people who count in this world and the people who are going to make it through the last great test are going to be religious nonconformists. They're going to say, I cannot do this because I believe it is wrong. I cannot do this because it goes against conscience, and to go against conscience is neither right nor safe, said Luther. And these young men were nonconformists. What was the issue over? Well, you'd say it was a non-issue. 
Do you know what the issue was over in Daniel 1? I'm almost embarrassed to tell you. The issue is not over Sabbath keeping or over believing in Christ. It is not over fornication or murder. It is over eating. Eating and drinking. And someone will say to me today, but this is a non-issue. Why does Daniel chapter 1 start with an issue of your stomach? It has been said that the only way that God can communicate with you, would you like to know how? The only way God can communicate with you and with me, Steve, is through the cells and the nerves of the brain and the stomach affects the brain and what affects the brain affects your communion and God's communion It has also been said that big doors turn on little hinges. And you may say, this is a small issue, but I would remind you today that the first temptation in the world, in the Garden of Eden, was over a piece of fruit. And I would remind you that when our Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights to keep his body under the control of the Holy Spirit. And when he was starving and Satan said, make this into bread, he said, man shall not live by bread alone. The Spirit of God communicates with man through the nerves of the mind and these nerves are influenced by the contents of the stomach. Having said that, I want you to read on and notice it, if you will, please. Verse 6, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel the name Belteshazzar, pagan name. Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And so the issue is over the wine and the issue is over the food that is set before them. And we would ask the question, what is the big deal? Why is it so important? Let me give you four apparent reasons. Number one, the food that was set before them was a rich food. It was rich extravagant food. Daniel realized 
that plain living and high thinking go together. And also, great eaters and great drinkers are seldom great at anything else. <laughs> Shall I say it again? Great eaters and great drinkers are seldom great at anything else. And he who cannot control the body cannot control anything. Rich foods. Number two, prepared in a way against the laws of Moses. The Bible said when flesh was eaten, it had to be drained of the blood and so forth. And so this food was not prepared according to the law of Moses. Number three, most likely it included swine's flesh. And the Bible said that is unclean food. Did you know this? Leviticus chapter 11 says that there is certain food that is suitable for eating and some food which is an abomination to God. And it mentions the swine and the camel and the rabbit and the lobster and so forth. And people say, but the blood of Jesus has cleansed all of those things. My friend, if a pig was unclean on Friday morning, he was unclean after Jesus died at four o'clock. Jesus didn't die to cleanse a pig. And so most likely the food was unclean, but there was a fourth reason, and this most likely was the most important reason that this was food that had been offered to the pagan gods. And if Daniel had eaten this food, he would have acknowledged that there was a God greater than the God whom he served. He would not eat this food that had been prepared and offered to the gods. And I would say to you, my friend, here we have just a few young boys a thousand miles from home and nobody is watching. Nobody knows except God and them. And that is enough. And the Bible says, and it's a great translation in the King James Version, it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He said, you can do what you like, but I'm not going to do it. And old Ashpen has said, if you don't look as good as these other people, the king will have my head. And Daniel said, let us have a test of the power of our God. And verse 11. Would you notice it, dear hearts, gentle people? Mm -hmm. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearances with those of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to them and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. <laughs> Am I getting close to some of you? Getting close to you, Fred? With your chicken? Now, listen to me. 
I want to tell you folks something. Don't say it's not important, because God says it is. God says your body is the temple of God. Hear this? The body is the temple of God. The Bible says don't defile the temple of God. That's why it's a sin to smoke. That's why it's a sin to smoke. That's why it's a sin to take alcohol. That's why it's a sin to take drugs. That is why it is a sin to put anything into this body that is going to cause its destruction. And so they said, give us 10 days. And the King James Version says at the end of the 10 days, they were fairer and fatter. But of course, that's only a Hebrew expression. They weren't fatter. They just looked better. They, they were glowing with health. Now, and joy and happiness and I want you to know this listen to this God's laws are for our good hey God's laws are for our good God never takes anything from you that is worth keeping everything God gives us is for our good say amen aha uh -huh, now we're getting stormed out like Jack Haven's church now <laughs> okay listen it's like the man who comes along comes into church he stinks smokes chews tobacco and he says what do I have to give up <sighs> dirty breath sick stomach that's what you got to give up we give up nothing for God that is worth having in the first place. And here we've got these young men and they're fairer and they're better and they're healthier because they have the moral courage to obey the laws of God because God's laws are good. You want to know why the world's in such of a, I was going to say a hell of a mess and I'll say it because it is. Would you like to know why the world's in such of a hell of a mess? Because the world is obeying the laws of hell. That's why. That's why. What are you saying, sister? Preach it. Ah. <laughs> That's why you always need a bunch of good black folks in your church. Because they get the gift. Say, preach on, brother. Mm -hmm. I was at a church once where black preacher was up the front and uncharacteristically he wasn't preaching too well at all and a black sister called out and said help him Jesus fancy saying that help him Jesus she said help him nobody say that here mm. boy nothing will help you if you do now let's have a look at this let me read you something where people obey God they're marvelously blessed they're healthier, they're happier, they're more successful, they're more prosperous because God loves his children. Now read on a little further. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the time of the end, let me say a few words about dreams and visions. There are only a few prophets in the Bible only a few prophets had visions and dreams. Make sure that you don't get carried away and think that you are a prophet the same as Daniel. And come along and say, 
hey, I know what I need to do. I don't need to read the Bible now. I don't need to obey these things because I get a strike from God. No, it doesn't work that way. But these were called by God and Daniel was called to be one of the greatest of the prophets. Some say the greatest. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. He was only just a young guy too. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them, say it, ten, say it, how many times? How many times? If you want to be ten times better, then obey the word of the Lord. Mm. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Let me tell you this. It's a mighty privilege to be a Christian. It's a mighty privilege to have a Bible. It's a mighty privilege to belong to Christ. Because when I come to Christ and I start to obey his word, I'm on the path that is going to make me ten times better. Ten times better in health. Did you know that? Like you say, are you sure? I can tell you that people who obey the health laws of the Bible get less cancer, much less. Much less heart disease. Much less depression. Much less fatigue, much less crankiness, because they are on the path of God's success. God's word is the greatest giver of blessing in the human experience. Now, I've told you stories from Russia. Let me tell you this one. When I went there first, for the Gorky campaign at least in 92, I preached these things and I said to the Russian people, obey God, pay your tithe, practice the health laws of the Bible, don't eat unclean foods. I told them all of those things. I said, God wants to bless you. God wants to make you the head and not the tail here in Russia. Did you know that the USA Financial News came out with an article, and we believe that we've had a part in this. We say it humbly, but we believe it. They've done a survey right throughout Russia, and they say that the people who are the most prosperous in Russia, in the ex-Soviet Union, are the people of Gorky. Hey, you say, but you've had nothing to do with that. I haven't, but God has. Because we were able to present to the governor, Boris Nemtsov, and to the rest of the people there, Bible principles. They're not following them completely, but as much as they do, God blesses them. I remember in 93 when I went back, I was met by a young Russian in a Mercedes Benz. I said, who do you know? I said, I've been preaching these things for years and I can't get better than a Volvo, <laughs> a Golf. But I got a good Maxima. Do you get that if you want? But anyhow, but, so I said, where did you get this? This Mercedes. He said, I bought it. 
I almost got angry with him. I thought, what a cheek, what a hide he's got to get a Mercedes. I said, what are you doing with a Mercedes? He said, you told me that if we obeyed God, followed his word, God would bless us. He said, he has. He said, I am putting into practice what you told us to do. He said, isn't this what I'm supposed to do? I said, of course. He said, so God has given us this Mercedes and God is blessing us with prosperity. And he's using it to bless others. He is putting large sums of money into the preaching of the gospel. I've had people come to me and they've said, Pastor Carter, I feel better. In fact, people say, I look younger. I feel better. My health is better. I don't have the stomach ulcers I used to have. I don't have the fatigue or the depression. Something has happened to me. And I say to them, it is because God is making you ten times better. That's the reason. Now, what is the message of Daniel chapter 1? It's very plain. God's way is better than the way of the Babylonians. And there's one other verse we should notice. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm ten times better, just my brain doesn't work all the time. Verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's only a little verse that tells you a lot. You think of his staying power. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He died. Then there came another king, and then a bit later there came Belshazzar. What happened to him? He was gone. They had a bunch of kings. The court was filled with intrigue and hatred and scheming and every other terrible thing, but there was one man who lasted them all, lasted them out. Who was it? Daniel. He lasted. If you want to last, if you want to endure and be ten times better, then obey Daniel's God. Daniel was faithful to God because God was faithful to Daniel. And when I was a boy at a college, I met a man who sang a song, Steve, made a real impact upon my life. The God who lived in Daniel's time is just the same today. He wants to make you ten times better. Believe in the faithfulness of God. Be faithful to him who is faithful to us. 